Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. If this is your first time visiting us this morning, welcome. I'm so glad that you could join us this morning. My name is David Mathis. I am the English pastor here, or the one who mostly teaches in English. Uh, we have a co-pastorate here at Hope Church, and Reuben here uh, is my co-pastor, my partner. Um, uh, incredible blessing it is that God has brought this together. Reuben's going to be teaching the Spanish service, Nick's service. Um, if, if you know Spanish, uh, I would encourage you sometime to go through both services. We're, we're tracking together through the book of Ephesians, uh, even with the same titles to our sermon in English and Spanish, uh, but, but I'm teaching what God has put on my heart. Reuben's teaching what God has put on his heart. Um, incredibly blessed for what God is doing in the life of home church, Hope Church, where we have two languages, but one hope in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this book is true? Do you know it? According to this book, if I consider, if you consider your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and you go back into your great-great-greats and generations back, According to this book, we all go back to a common ancestor. That would be Noah and, and his family, the, the only survivors of, of a worldwide flood. We'd, if you believe this book, there was a flood that destroyed the world. And it was our ancestors that were saved, trusting God at that time. And if you only go a handful of generations back, it was our ancestors, Adam and Eve, that were there in a real garden that really did exist on this earth. That garden having been destroyed by the flood, most likely. And if you believe this book, then you believe that there, there really is one almighty God who did create the heavens so, so when we're out there, as we're enjoying the weather, as it starts to get warmer and we're out camping and we look up at the stars at night, and if you know how to find the constellations and you're looking at Orion's belt, Orion's too hard to see the whole thing, but you see Orion's belt. <clears throat> Orion is in the Bible. And the Bible says that it wasn't just this accident of an arrangement of stars that, that then, you know, later on man would call that Orion. That was by God's design that God put the stars where they're at to his glory and his purpose. And if you believe the Bible, then you believe there, there really was a time when God himself, the creator God, walked with our ancestors, Adam and Eve, in the garden. That's very personal to realize that it was our ancestors that walked with the Almighty God in a real garden on this world. If you believe what's in this book, then you also believe that there really is this angel of light that God created who, in his pride, rebelled against God. And, and he visited our ancestors in the garden and tempted them 
And it was our ancestors then that bought into the lie. First to doubt the goodness of God, the one that they had walked in the garden with. And then, then to, to buy in to the idea that it was a desirable thing to be like God, knowing good and evil. And it was our ancestors then that took that step of disobedience against God. And it really was an event where we died, spiritually died. And death entered the world. If you believe this Bible, then you believe that, that before that time, when God created everything, he placed us as mankind over all of the earth, sovereign to, to, to lead and, and take care of everything on the earth. And in that moment that we disobeyed God, we lost that. We no longer were the rulers of this world. We entered into bondage of sin, a slavery to sin that generation after generation now, we have been born into what is a condition of, of being dead spiritually, being imprisoned spiritually. And the ruler of this world is Satan, the one that tempted us there at the beginning, tempted our ancestors. This is, this is real if you believe that this book is true. And the condition that we are now in is described as darkness. Well, I challenge you to really think through the reality of what we're talking about is that, is that what we experience outward, we, we see and we feel the brokenness of the world around us, but we don't necessarily get what the Bible describes as the reality that we're in because spiritually we've lost what we had before to be completely alive spiritually and, and with God and have spiritual eyes to see around us. But in Christ, we've been learning, we've been born again spiritually. Maybe that's, that's in its infancy inside of us to be able to see and to know spiritually. But our, our, our experience in this, in this world, sometimes I get up and I think, well, it's not so bad. But what is it described as in the Bible? And in, in chapter six in Ephesians, where we'll get soon, um, it describes uh, in verse 12, I don't have a slide for it, but it says, it says uh, that our enemy as, as those who are, who are believers in Christ is not, is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against, it's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And, and it describes, uh, describes it as, as rulers against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. The condition that the world is in around us is utter darkness because we're spiritually dead, blind. Do we see that as the truth of the reality that we're in? If we believe this book, then we believe that the Almighty God has had a plan since the beginning to save us out of that darkness. And we believe that ultimately he sent his son into 
this world of darkness as a light. And of the Gospels, I love the Gospel of John because the way he, he gives an account of the life of Jesus on this earth is just, it's from the wonder, from the perspective of just the, the wonder and majesty of what was actually happening there. When he starts the book of John, he says, In the beginning was the Word. In arche in halagas. That's the one verse that I ever learned in, in Greek. <laughs> the lagas, the Word. The expression of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is he talking about? It's a he because the next verse says, and, and he was in the beginning with God. The Word is Jesus, God's Son, who was there at the very beginning, who everything was made through him that was made. God was sending his Son into the world. Light into utter darkness. Let's open up the book of John. I love this book. Starting in verse four in chapter one of, verse, of, of John, it says, in him, this is the word, the logos, Jesus, the son that God has sent into the darkness. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We were, at that time, a humanity that was blind spiritually. We didn't see what happened. But I can only imagine that in the spiritual realm, there was a blinding brightness that had entered into darkness. And where darkness had been able to consume anything, light, within this world, this was a light that it could not consume. The light of the one who had created the world had entered the world. Light in the darkness. Then he talks about uh, this witness, uh, John the Baptist, that God sent, a, a regular man ahead of Jesus entering this world to be a witness to Christ who was going to come after him. So, so it says, John Baptist, he, he wasn't the light, but he bore witness to the light. And, and in verse 9, it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You see the irony there. Here is Jesus. In the spiritual realm, they knew who he was. It was Clearly obvious, I think as, as a blazing light obvious that he had entered the darkness of the world. But here we stood, the one who had created everything around us, who had created us, standing there, and we didn't know who it was. He came to his own, who were his own, is the people of Israel, the, the chosen people of God. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, Jews and Gentiles, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Light entering darkness. This is what we've been going through. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. We get to see this a little bit from God the Father's perspective speaking to his son in his purpose. Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse five. 
Isaiah is prophesying. This is some six, 700 years before Jesus was sent to enter the darkness that is this world. As thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you. He's, this is God the Father speaking to the Messiah, God the Son. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. That's us. We're the ones in darkness with eyes that are blind, spiritually unable to see. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's this world. In darkness, blind, dead in our sin, unable to perceive anything spiritually. The Father is sending his Son to save. And if we skip down to verse 16, it says, And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. We are the ones being led in a way that we don't know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. There is a whole new life. That's what we've been covering in the book of Ephesians is God's plan and, and the old life that is being put away. And this new life that we have in Christ is a new way that we have not known before. It's, it wasn't anything that, that was our experience before coming to Christ. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground, these are things I do, I, God, do, and I do not forsake them. How incredible is the promise of God towards us and his plan of salvation. We have been going through the book of Ephesians and, and the incredible plan of God and his love towards us. And, and we've been looking at, at his plan to create a new people, Jews, Gentiles, as, as one people, uh, in Christ, and we've seen his plan to, to create all things new, so we, we are no longer who we were before. He's, he's telling us, put aside the old self, and here's the new self, and, and we, we looked at the exchanged life of how, how my old life is being exchanged for Christ's life, and my, my weakness being exchanged for his power, and we looked at the abundant life, just what it is, this life that God has for us that is new that we don't fully understand yet. We've got to, we've got to come into, into God's grace and, and his path in our life to see what is this new life that God has for us. And now as we're, as we're digging further into Ephesians chapter five, uh, there's a verse right in the middle of what we're gonna be covering in verse eight. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter five and verse eight. It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what we've been covering. And he says, walk as children of light. What is it to walk as children of light? That's what we're gonna be digging into this morning is three things about what it is to walk as children of light. Let's pray first. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that your word is true and, and by your word we can know 
from the beginning, how things have unfolded. We can know your plan from the beginning to redeem a people to yourself, to call a people to yourself. God, to save us out of this darkness. And God, as your children now, as children of light, we wanna know how to walk as children of light. We wanna know your purpose in this family, in this body that's yours, God. So I pray that as we dig into your word that you would show us your truth. Spirit of God, reveal the truth of your word and how we can better walk as your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look with me in chapter five, starting in verse three. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, now in case... You're not, you're not familiar with the term saints. We, sometimes we, we attach saints to this concept of like a super Christian, this other breed of Christian that's out there. Um, when the Bible's talking about saints, it's anyone who believes in Christ who's called into this body. There's only one, there's only one level of Christian, and that's child of God, and that's the saints. That's who we are. If you believe in Christ, you're, you're part of this group. This isn't just super Christian talk. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, wanting what's not mine, all of those things go together, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Recall, this, this letter was being written to, to the church in Ephesus. This was Paul in prison in Rome writing a letter to Ephesus. And at that time, the Ephesus was this epicenter of uh, of culture, of, of worship to false gods, um, of commerce. And, and they had the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis there. Uh, and along a Marble Road there, there was this brothel that, that was supported and condoned by the worship of Artemis. And, and it, was, it was a dark place spiritually. There's all sorts of, of witchcraft and, and, and magicians doing their work, and, and Satan had a great hold, like he did on the rest of the world in that place. Until the gospel, through the mission work of Paul, was brought in there, and the light was in there. But, but this is the church. It's this church that has been raised up within that environment that Paul is speaking to. Sexual immorality was, was a huge part of the culture there. I consider our culture now. Are we any better? I think we're in a worse off place because we don't have to go down to Marble Road or to the Temple of Artemis. It's all in our homes. And we've gotten even better at calling what is evil good. As we get into this, I'm challenged and I hope you are challenged too to examine what's in our lives. The first point of how we can practically walk as children of light is to let go of darkness. We need to let go of darkness. 
But continue in verse 4, it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This is normal stuff. How many times have I, I laughed at and enjoyed a joke that's a little bit off color? That's what this is talking about. I mean, central to a lot of this is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a huge deal there, and it's a huge deal now. Idolatry's in here. They're saying, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. In verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What are you saying here, Paul? Now be careful to not take this the wrong way. Because, because we've been covering already the security that I have in Christ, that the Spirit of God has put a seal on my life, guaranteeing an inheritance, and yet he's saying, here are these things which are in my life that I currently deal with. So basic as, a, as an off-color joke. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, have I ever wanted the latest gadget? That's covetous. Have I ever put something around me before God? That's idolatry. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ and God. He's not talking about our practice here. He, he, he's saying who is. He's talking about an identity here. He's saying, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that as an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Where have we seen the term the sons of disobedience before? That's who we were. At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, look with me there. It's important that we get this right. Ephesians chapter 2, this is talking about where we were before. Before we were saved out of our sin, we were there with the rest of the world. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was us. In spiritual darkness, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's where we were. But we know, we've been, we've been going through this, we've been saved out of that. That's not who we are anymore. But it, what he's saying here is, you're still practicing these things. And he says in verse, in, verse, uh, in verse six, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. What is he talking about here? What are we being deceived about? We're being deceived that these are, these are no big deal. That for me to have an off-color joke or, or, to, or to enjoy a little bit of, of sexual immorality in, in some form, you can't get away from it. You can't turn on the TV without having it. 
But we get into this mode of saying, this is no big deal. But what is he saying here? Don't be deceived. It's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. This is a big deal to God. For us to make light of the things in our life that are still practiced, that are, that are still part of the darkness that we came out of, it is a big deal. He's saying, don't be deceived that, that it's just okay to continue with that stuff. He says, it's because of these things that those who are that, who are still the sons of disobedience, have no inheritance. It is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Praise the Lord that we are no longer counted among the sons of disobedience. But he wants us, <laughs> he wants us to live as children of the light, having nothing to hide. See, these, these things, they're shameful. And, and, we, and we can tell the things that are, that are of, of, the, of the world, the, the things that are, the, that are against God by, by the fruit of them. It's, it's shameful. We want to hide it. He says, don't let anyone deceive you about these things. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them. What's he talking about there? There's other, other places in, in his letter to the Corinthians where he gets more into this. But he's saying, a partnership, he's talking mostly about marriage there. He's saying, if, if you are looking to get married and you have the hope of Christ in you and you are a child of light, don't pair yourself up with, with a child with someone who, who is a son of disobedience, who, who doesn't have that. There's, there is a complete difference between us who are in Christ and the world who is not. And if you're in a relationship where, where you started, both of you uh, in darkness and God saved one of you out of that, there's instruction in, in his letter to the Corinthians to navigate that. It's difficult, though going to be incredibly difficult because you both have a completely different foundation of life. One of you is spiritually alive and the other one is spiritually dead. That changes everything. What does he say to do? He says, have thanksgiving in verse four, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, that's a, that was interesting when I first saw that there. How, how is that the counter to the, the sexual immorality, the covetousness? I can see how it's, but, but, but it is. Because all of these things are, go back to the beginning in the garden where we looked for something else apart from God. Where, where we said, we questioned God's goodness and we said, I want something that's, that's not what God has for me. I, I believe that there's something greater. And so we, we drew our attention, our affection somewhere else. He says, instead, have thanksgiving. What are we being thankful for? We're being thankful for what God has given us. Thankful for what God has given us. 
Did you know that there is sexual purity? <laughs> that God created sex and he called it good? The youth are going, did he just say that in church? Why? Because what, what corruption and sin has done is it, it's made things shameful, especially that. And so our whole concept of it is corrupted. That is how we can tell the fruit of what is coming out of this corruption that is darkness is because it's shameful. We want to hide it. But at the beginning there in Genesis chapter 2, when God created man, he said, and he said, the two shall become one flesh. What followed that? The very end of chapter 2 said, and they were naked and not ashamed. And we giggle at that. Why? Because there's shame in nakedness now. Because it's corrupt. He says, be thankful. What are we thankful for? We're thankful for the way God made things, the way God intended. And we have to figure that out because I can tell you where we come from, we don't know that. We can't see, okay, this was how God intended this. We have to learn that. So how do we learn what is God's way? What is God's purpose? What is God's design? The things that we're supposed to be thankful for that are in contrast. Remember what it said, God's, God's words back in Isaiah 42? You know, lead them in a way that they have not known. This is something new for us to, to learn what God's design has been from the beginning that's now been corrupted by us as sons of disobedience and the ruler of this world. So the second point in, in walking as children of light is to discover light. It's to learn what light is. We need to discover what God's plan was, what God's purpose was. Not just throw everything away. Oh my goodness, sexual immorality, that's, that's bad. Some people have taken that so far to say, well, then, then you better not have sex in your life at all. Become a monk. Well, now you've, you've lost it. You haven't learned what God's purpose was. You haven't learned what is good. You've just reacted into a whole new way that is actually a new form of brokenness. We want to figure out what is God's light. What is the path that God designed for us that is good in walking in light? So how do we do that? Well, let's continue in Ephesians uh, starting in verse eight, it says, for at one time you were darkness, identity, who you were was darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. We can tell, this is, this is the first clue. How do we figure it out? Look at the fruit of things. Does it, does it result in hiding and shame? Well, well, something's not right there. Does it, does it result in something that is good and right and true? By God's definition of good and right and true, then, then we're getting close. We're starting to figure it out. He says, uh, and try to discern, in verse 10, what is pleasing to the Lord. So the, this is where we're at now, trying to figure it out. What is it that's pleasing to my father? I'm trying to learn this. How do I learn what is pleasing to the Father? 
Well, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. How do we discover light? You're all going to beat me there. All right. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Remember at the beginning, we were going through God's purposes towards us, one of them being to make us holy and blameless before him? Well, he is light. And it says, if we have fellowship, in verse 6, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's saying, if we say that, that I've, oh, I'm good with God, I've got great fellowship with God, and yet there's still darkness that I'm walking in in my life, then we lie. Why does he want us to make us holy and blameless before him? Why does he want us to be creatures who walk in the light? Because then we can have a relationship with him. God is light. In him is no darkness. Do we bring darkness into an intimate relationship with God? No. He's not talking about our core salvation here. This, this book is written to believers. In chapter two, it starts with, my beloved children. He's talking about those who, who have faith in Christ or in Christ, but he's saying, if, if you in Christ say that you have fellowship with God, but you still are walking in darkness, you're lying. You're not practicing the truth. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we are in right relationship with God, it's not just with God that we find ourselves in fellowship. It's with each other that we find ourselves in fellowship. All things coming together in unity in the body of Christ when we're walking in the light. So is it just about you? Is your relationship with God just about you? Well, right here, it's pretty obvious it's not. Because once you get right with God, that affects the whole body. And you're walking in light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is to put light on my life. To take the sin of my life and expose it to the light. If I'm holding on to sin, if I'm holding on to things to say, you know, that, that, does, that doesn't hurt anybody it's, and I don't really want to deal with that. I'm not walking in the light. We're literally talking about exposing. The darkness doesn't like the light because it exposes the darkness. And if we still have darkness in our life, to walk in the light means to expose what's in our life. But when we do that, we know the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. In verse eight, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves in the truth is not in us. We have sin. There's no doubt we have sin to deal with. If we say, no, I'm good. My life's good. I don't have anything to deal with. It says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's the promise? Verse nine, if we confess our sins, if we, if we shine light in the deepest parts of who we are and we confess this is my sin, and we put it out there in the open. 
Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have nothing to hide from. In Christ, we are forgiven by his blood. So how do I dig in and find that sin? How do I go and find those uncomfortable places? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. We gotta be in the word of God. Spirit of God uses the word of God to expose what's in our heart. It says in in verse 12 of chapter four, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It gets down into the deep recesses that we don't even know ourselves and exposes the gunk exposes the things that need to be taken care of. It says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is a good thing. Because of Christ, when we give an account, it's his righteousness that counts for us. So now we do wanna pull all that out because we wanna walk in light. And in 14, since then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What's our confession? That he is the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He put on human flesh. He felt the same temptation we feel. He knows what we're dealing with but he went through it without sin. And now it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence, we don't have to fear, we don't have to hide, but with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is my greatest need? My greatest need is the sin in my heart. The sin in my life that still is bringing darkness. It's still me walking in darkness that I don't even know why or how. My greatest need is to get that cleansed, to get that that into the light to be taken care of in Christ. My life living in the life, in the light. All right, the final point on what it means to walk as a child of light is to shine in the dark. To shine in the dark. Continue with me in verse 11, it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's our own experience. It says, awake. It says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What does it mean for us to expose the deeds? What did Christ do? Is it it for us to go and bring condemnation into the world? We get this wrong often as Christians. What what is this act of bringing the light 
that we have in Christ into the world. It's not bringing condemnation. We've read John 3.16. We know John 3.17. Well, maybe we do, maybe we don't. But it says, if I can remember it right, God did not send his son, there we go, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So when we're exposing the deeds of those in the world through the light that is Christ in us, it's not to condemn the world, but to save the world, the same way that God revealed the sin in us that we came to Christ. What do we stand against? What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who's on the defensive in that picture? Is it the church being defensive against the gates of hell? No, gates are defensive. That's a defensive mechanism. What he's saying is, is the gates of hell will not prevail against the light of Christ coming in to save the world. This is a rescue mission that we're on. What did it say back in Isaiah 42? God said, I will turn darkness before them into light. You see how God has positioned us, church? We need to see correctly that it is darkness around us. It is darkness in East Kyle and West Kyle. Spiritual darkness, it is not okay. And God has positioned us as a church to be a light. That same light that Jesus brought with him now is in us, his body. And God wants us to penetrate the darkness. Let me read one last verse over you, church. Declare God's truth from 1 Peter 1.9. I think I got the wrong verse up there. I do have the wrong verse. Well, let me read it from my text. Because it wasn't chapter one, it was a different nine. Chapter two, verse nine. You church are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are, children of light. This next song that we're gonna sing is just about our salvation. And I would encourage you, church, along with myself, as we're singing this and just worshiping God for how he has saved us, that you would just ask God to open up in your life. Are there areas where you have just let darkness continue to be? That you've said, oh, this isn't such a big deal. To see it through his eyes now and say, God, I want purity in my life. I wanna be holy and blameless before you. Let him speak into your life. Let's worship. Father, we do declare with our mouth that you are Lord. And we believe in our heart. You raised from the dead. God, 
Thank you for the light that you have for us. That in you, God, there is no darkness at all. And the hope that we have to look forward to, where there will be no darkness, God will be there, the river of life. You said there's not going to be even a need for moon or, or sun because just the light of your glory is what we're going to live in. God, the Bible says you live in an in, in, approachable light, a light so great we wouldn't be able to stand it. God, we only can barely taste the beginning of the life that we have in you. God, put in our hearts a desire to be children of light. God, give us the courage to let go of darkness and sin, to confess it, to get with our brothers and sisters to say, no, I want to walk in the light. And to be cleansed by your blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.